It's like my favorite, come on, my favorite part of refuge when I'm speaking is uh, getting to push the chair down, but we don't have the pushy down chair. You know, you know, when I say push the chair down, I really mean like let gravity work. That's that thing, so we don't have that, we have this one. Um, anyway, hey, I don't know if you guys know what's on the back over here. Uh, this is like super cool. Uh, Scott uh, made this um, for this weekend. This is our 10th uh, birthday as a church. Hope, the church that you're a part of, uh, Refuge, mom or dad, um, turned 10 years old today. Um, super cool, uh, 2001 to 2011, we're 10 years old today, and this um, is a huge banner. Um, and, and here's what we did, we asked our church for the last two weeks um, to invite people to come to Hope this morning, um, to come to Hope this weekend. And here's what we did, we wrote down, um, we asked people to write down names, and if you've been in the service at all, you've written down names. Anybody in, anybody in the room went to big church and wrote down somebody's name? Awesome. Some of you. If you wrote down a name, it's up here. Um, and so it's really cool. Scott made this, and it's awesome. Um, so anyway, we're going to show that off tonight. Um, I don't know how long we'll keep it up here. Probably just this week, but it's, it's pretty awesome. So come up here and look at it later if you want to. It's super awesome. Um, so we're in this series um, called Perspective. Um, we've dealt with our view of God. We said how we view things determine, changes how we do things. Um, and tonight we come to an interesting topic that I want to talk about for just a minute. Um, the idea of community. The idea of, of the church. Um, do we have any TV fans in the room? TV, um, a.k.a. Netflix. I don't ever watch TV, uh, but dude, I can watch Netflix. Um, as a matter of fact, I've been, um, I kind of like, I don't even, it's not babysitting because they're not babies, um, but sometimes Chaz's parents go out of town. Chaz over here. Chaz, wave your hand everybody. Um, Chaz is the guy, the seventh grader that calls me mom. Um, <laughs> Um, so Chaz, uh, every once in a while his parents go out of town, and Chaz didn't want to drive. Although if he was, he's probably better at it than me. We almost wreck every morning going to school. Um, don't, t- I hope your parents will listen to the podcast. Um, so we almost wreck going to school like every morning. Um, so uh, over, I stay with Chaz from like Wednesday to Saturday. Uh, we watched almost three seasons um, of a cartoon. Anybody ever seen Avatar? Yeah. The Last Airbender? <laughs> I was, like, really scared. I don't know if you guys have seen this or not. Um, so me and Chaz watched three seasons. Well, no, almost three seasons. Chaz finished all of them. I'm, like, five episodes short, so I don't know what happens. So don't tell me what happens when Aang faces the Fire Nation. Oh. Don't. Hey, shh. You shut your mouth. <laughs> or I will go. I don't. Earth. I'll go bender on you. Um, so anyway, uh, I love Netflix. I love um, that I can have anything whenever I want it. Um, me and Ben watched all five seasons of Friday Night Lights in like three weeks. Um, <laughs> Tyler's here. Um, we would like, we, the only real day we have off like, um, is Monday. And so we would wake up early on Mondays uh, so we could watch more episodes of Friday Night Lights. Like one time we watched 17 episodes in a day. It's a lot of episodes. It's like an hour show, so it's like a lot of episodes. Um, I love. Do we have any Lost fans in the room? You may seen Lost. Former Lost fan. You didn't make it through. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah. Um, Lost fans in the room. Uh, Prison Break, twenty four. Twenty four doesn't count. We're not going to talk about that one. I mean, it's, it's awesome. But here's here's what I love um, about Lost. It gets crazy. Like. Season one, two, three, you're like, oh, this is cool. And then, like, season four breaks in, and you're just head, like, on an episode-by-episode basis, your head just keeps exploding. Uh, But here's what I love. There's, like, almost, 
it's the end of almost every season. Um, there's two episodes that are called Live Together, Die Alone. In almost every season. So if you start watching Lost and you haven't seen it yet, or if you just like love like, watching, like looking up TV shows on Netflix, start watching Lost. The end of almost every season is called Live Together, Die Alone. Here's what happens. They get stranded. You may have lost. They get stranded on this island. Their plane crashes. They get stranded on this island. And in most of the show, there's, there's two main guys that kind of fight. Uh, they don't fight. They like bicker back and forth. Who's the real leader? Who's not the real leader? Um, Jack and Locke. Jack and John Locke, or Locke, whatever. Um, and and here's, here's what they come to the conclusion. Almost every time they think about splitting up, almost every time they get mad at each other, Jack, in the first season, he says, we can live together on this island where there's this black smoke monster and there's polar bears, but it's in the tropics, um, where there's these people that have been, there's this French lady with a gun that's been there like 16 years. She like never runs out of ammo. They start pushing this button because the world never explode. The world's going to explode. Um, there's this other guy that's been pushing a button so the world didn't explode for like three years. Like, dude, it, it, it gets crazy. But Locke, I mean, John, Jack says in like the first episode, "Hey, we can live together. Or we can die alone." There's so much truth to that, dude. Almost every TV show, dude. Me and Chaz this week, uh, dude. Aang is the Avatar. He can master all the elements. But dude, he needs like he needs his his crew. He needs his posse. He needs, like, his waterbender lady, and he needs, like, Sokka. He can't bend anything, but he's like a warrior. Um, he becomes a sword master. I'm really excited about this. I just started watching, <laughs> like, Wednesday. <laughs> I was like, 50 episodes. Um, he needs, like, his blind master earthbender lady. Like, he needs all these people. Like, dude, in Friday Night Lights, dude, you got to have Tim Riggins. He's, oh, man. <laughs> That's right. That was the mmm for Tim Riggins is the sexiest man alive. Um, and I mean that. Uh, man, you, you need your football, you need the whole team. Like, dude, you can have one all-star. There's, there's some schools in town that have, like, one good player. But if you have one good player on the field, there's 11 people. There's 11 people on the field at all times. That was an 11. I, don't, I guess I could do this. Um, you need 11 people on the football field at, at, at all points in time. If you have one baller and 10 morons... Nothing ever happens. Well, I mean, the baller gets hurt. That's what always happens. Right. You need 11 people on the football field to win a game. Um, dude, lost. They can live together. They can die alone. Like they're saying, if, if we stay together, we can do this thing. But if we, if we split up, we all go our separate ways, dude, the black smoke monster is going to get us. And, like, the polar bear is going to get us. And the French lady is going to steal us. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> this idea of community is huge. And it's not just huge in TV. It's huge in real life. It's huge because it was God's idea. This idea of community. This idea of the church. When I say church, what do you think of? Class participation. What? Beautiful, thank you. What else? What is the church? When I say the church, what do you think of? Huh? I can't hear or see. Family. I didn't know. I don't know what it is. Family. What else? What? Building. What else? The church. I love Tyler. That's right. He's a baller. Um, I think all of you are somewhat correct. In, in the Bible, um, the word church, we, get, we don't talk about Greek a lot in, uh, in Refuge, um, most of the time it's just complicated, but, but I feel like this, this paints a great picture. 
The word for the church, the word we get the church from in the Bible is this word ecclesia. Here's what it really means. Church. Ecclesia. Called out ones. Here's what the church is. The church is a group of people who've been called out. Who've been separated. The church is people who've been drawn out and now they follow Christ. They're God's people. The church is a community. The church is a family. But I feel like so many times, I know in my life, I don't know about in your life, but in my life, instead of living in community, instead of living in God's family, I do it my own way. Like in Jack's equation, I would die alone. But here's what God invites us to. Community. Living together. Not dying alone. But in American Christianity, so many times we separate ourselves. And we don't experience all we can experience We don't experience all that God has for us because we're living on islands separated from everyone else. And we're trying to walk our Christianity all by ourselves when that was never the intention. Um, The the first depiction of the New Testament church, which is what we are, is in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read just a few verses tonight, um, talk about them for a minute, and then we're going to break up in some small groups. Every week after we teach, we break up and we go into rooms, we sit around tables, we go downstairs, we sit on a bench, we go to McDonald's, we go to Starbucks, and we hang out after refuge. And in fact, some of us think, dude, that's just our time until our parents get here and our, the person in college or the older person that's leading our group, um, they're just like babysitting us until our parents get here. Or sometimes we, our leaders want to hang out with us. Or uh, our small group gets together and we think, dude, we're just going to somebody's house on Friday night to play Monopoly or watch a football game or watch TV, go to the movies. And we don't see that time, that small group, as our family. We don't see those people as community. We don't see those people as people that we're living life with, that we're walking life with. And I hope tonight, if you get anything, you get that this family, this community, this idea of church is huge and we can't function like God wants us to function if we're not a part of it. So let me read this, this, uh, these verses to you in Acts chapter 2, and then we'll jump in um, tonight. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Here's what it says. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to breaking bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, as many, as many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread together in homes and ate together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and enjoying favor with all people and the Lord was adding to the number day by day those who were being saved. This is the first picture of the New Testament church. Jesus, here's what what happened. Jesus takes off. Um, Jesus just leaves the scene a couple chapters earlier. Actually, one chapter earlier, Jesus leaves the scene. And his disciples are all in Jerusalem, and they're freaking out. And then there's this day, it's called Pentecost. And the disciples are in the temple courts, um, and it says the Spirit of God falls on them. And that day, the church at that time was 120 people, about the size of refuge somewhat. And on that day, 120 people, on that day, it becomes 3,000 people. Because these, these apostles are teaching, and God's Spirit moves 
and 3,000 people are invited to the church and come to the church and follow Christ on that one day. How crazy is that? And then it goes right to this verse right here and starts talking about the church. They devoted themselves to teaching. First, this, this word devoted, what does devoted mean? Anybody, anybody, anybody? Give your life to it, devoted. Pretty good answer. Way to go, Aaron, I like that. Uh, devoted, continuously, intentionally, keeping on. In Africa, um, I, love, I love being in Africa because they say busy. They're always busy doing something. Um, like, like, dude, oh, what are you doing? I'm busy going to the grocery store. Not like um, I'm, I'm busy right now, like I'm, I'm working and I'm busy, but like everything is like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm busy doing this. Or like somebody's sick. Dude, oh, he's busy being sick. Oh, uh, dude, yeah, it's crazy. Um, or, or like, dude, we're, uh, God is busy moving among these people. Dude, we're busy going here. And it's this idea of devotion. It's this idea of always doing something. It says, it could be translated, they were busy devoting themselves to teaching. They were intentionally looking for teaching. They kept on looking for teaching. Here's the idea of teaching. The Bible talks about um, the Bible, um, believers hungering for God's word. Like babies hunger for milk. I don't know if you've ever had like a little brother or sister who was a baby. I mean, every, if you've had a little brother or sister, they've been a baby. Um, but I don't know if you've had like a baby in your home. Dude, they eat like all the time. And not like snacks, dude. They eat like crazy. Dude, babies are always eating milk. That's what the Bible says. Us being devoted to teaching is us seriously caring about God's word. Like a baby hungers for milk, we should hunger for God's word. And not just in this area. When people say, dude, I hate going to church because the guy on stage is boring. Sometimes that might be true. But a lot of times, here's what I feel like that means. I don't love God's word. And, and if you don't love it in your life, if you're not spending time in God's word away from refuge, when we break it open at refuge, the best it's going to be is something exciting. But honestly, it's probably not going to mean anything at all. Because if you're not living with this throughout the week, dude, there's nothing I can say or Scott can say or anybody that gets on the stage can say to make you fall in love with this word. Until you fall in love with it yourselves, it's never going to mean anything. So in the Bible, the church, this first church here, they were devoting themselves to teaching and to fellowship. They were devoting themselves to fellowship. Here's what we think fellowship is. Hanging out. Yeah, I love going to refuge. I get here a little bit earlier. I stay a little bit late uh, because I love fellowship. Fellowship is like a churchy word. And we just think it means hanging out. Here's the deal. This, sorry, one more time, Greek word, last one, I promise. It's the word koinonia. You know what that word really means? To partner. It means to share. They were devoting themselves to partnering. They were devoting themselves to sharing. Have you ever like had a class project or like you were in a group project, you had like three people working on your thing? I guess that happens a little more in college. Um, but there's always like one or two people in class that you never want to be partnered with because they never do anything. Those people are the scum of the earth. I'm just kidding. And they are, but... I wouldn't tell them. Um, you never want to partner with that person because you know if it's like three, a three-man team um, or a three-person team, like you have that one loser that's not going to do anything. They might not even show up the day of the presentation. So like you try to give them the smallest role possible. Like, okay, uh, what should I do? Uh, you should uh, just stay awake. If you can stay awake the whole time, you're good. Um, because when you're partnered with them, dude, it sucks because they're not going to pull their weight. 
This idea of fellowship, they were devoting themselves to partnering together, to sharing life together. Not, not the crappy person, the person that's going to have your back. Here's what the church is. Dude, Kara said we're a family. Here's what that means. We partner together. We share things together. We share life together. Man, when, when I hear about somebody at the church, I should, I should think, man, I got their back. When life's great, dude, I got your back. We're going to party. We're going to celebrate this. But when life is just garbage, dude, I got your back. And dude, if you're crying, I'm going to cry with you. Dude, if, if life sucks right now, I'm going to be there because we're sharing in life together. We're partnering in life together. Said they were devoted to fellowship. Said they're devoted to breaking bread. Here's what breaking bread is. It's the idea of communion. Jesus, before he takes off, uh, before he goes to the cross, they do a thing called the Lord's Supper. Um, and, and, he, and here's what here's what he says. Said this is like he takes bread and he takes a cup and he said, "This is my body that's broken for you, and this is my blood that's shed for you." And Jesus says, "Hey, until I come back, until I return, I want you to do this as a reminder." I want you to do this as a symbol that my body was broken for you. Don't forget that. That my blood was shed, that you might have forgiveness of sin. And so they they continually did that. You know why? Because they're facing persecution. People were coming against them. And so they could always retreat to this and say, man, I know things are hard right now. But God sacrificed himself for us. God shed his blood that we could have forgiveness of sin. It says, enter prayer. Here's what we do. We pray when it sucks. We pray when life's not good. Life's not going good. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is crying out to God. If you read the Psalms, if you, if you have your Bible, um, and you just open to the middle, that's Psalms. Um, that's Psalms right there. It's big. It's like 150 chapters. The Psalms are people crying out to God. Sometimes it's, God, this is awesome. I love this. And sometimes it's, man, God, I seriously pray that you would uh, kill my enemies. Like, they're, they're that brutally honest with God. Since these people, this, this early church, they were devoting themselves to prayer. And incredible things were happening. It goes on the next couple verses to say that miracles and signs were happening. You know why? Because they were devoting themselves to prayer. Dude, God says that if his people will call on his name, that he'll change things. He'll step in and he'll do stuff. God says, man, if you'll pray and you'll humbly seek my face, then I'm going to pour blessings on you. But most of the time, we pray sometimes. Dude, never are we devoted to prayer. The prayer that don't, doesn't break your heart will never break God's heart. The prayer that doesn't move you into action will never move God into action. Those kind of prayers, the kind of prayers that move us into action are things that we're devoted to. And it goes on and it says, um, they had everything in common. Here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that they all like the same football team. That means they had love for each other. It says, and they sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts and they broke bread and they ate together in people's homes with, with sincerity and gladness of heart. Here's what happened. It, it's the picture here. Dude, when someone had need, they sold something and got it for them. Um, there, there's, uh, the Roman government commissioned some people to go uh, do reports on these Christians um, in, in this day and age. Um, and I was reading an article today, uh, and, and it was this philosopher that had been commissioned by the Roman government to go investigate the church. And you know what he writes? He writes all of Acts chapter 2 right here. He talks about how these people served like no one he'd ever seen. 
He said, I, I witnessed someone that didn't have food and these Christians, these, these followers of Jesus, they fasted for three days and kept giving their food to these people that didn't have any. The people outside of the church could see the church at work. But I feel like so many times we live in a place where people don't even know that someone's in the church unless they drive by a building. And if you say, I go to church, they have no idea what that means because we're not living any different than somebody else. Because we don't have people's backs. Because we don't have anything in common. We don't have a relationship with God that really changes us and really puts us in this idea of community. This idea of sincerity and gladness of heart. Um, it's the idea of a celebration. Of the idea of a feast. Um, they had like all kind of celebrations and big feasts um, in, in this day and age. Um, and I had a lot of those growing up. Like, dude, uh, we all lived in the same town until like me and Travis left and left Las, came to Las Vegas. And so, dude, like 40 people all the time would be at my aunt's house or be at our house or be at my grandma's house or be at my other aunt's house. And we'd all be hanging out. We'd all be eating. And there'd be so much food. Like, you, you're like full just thinking about it. Um, but there'd be like so much food. And we were always together. We were always sharing these meals. It's the idea of when your family gets together for Christmas or when your family gets together for Thanksgiving. Um, it's the idea of the same kind of food. People didn't have something. And so the Christians would invite them in. And that's why it goes on in the next verse. And it says, and the Lord was adding to the number day by day. All these things right here resulted in people coming to Christ continually. One, people came to Christ here because they'd never heard the message of Jesus. But two, the church was living different and it looked so much different than the world that people could clearly see there was something special about these people. And they were coming to Christ because these people were so crazy different. We walk into our schools every day. And people can't see we're different. People can't see that we're a family. People can't see that we really love God. Two stories out of Scripture, and then I'll be done. Um, in Matthew chapter 16, um, Jesus and his disciples are, uh, are in a town um, called Caesarea Philippi. Um, you know, well, I don't care. It's okay, whatever. Um, and so Jesus is talking um, to these guys, and he goes on, he has this whole dialogue with them, and he says, hey, in Caesarea Philippi, that's where he is. I said that already. Caesarea Philippi. He's in Caesarea Philippi. Guess where he is? Caesarea Philippi. And he goes to Peter and he says, Hey, Peter, on you guys, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And, and what he says next is very important to Caesarea Philippi. He says, And the gates of hell won't prevail against my church. To Michael, why does that it all matter? Well, here's the deal. In, uh, in Caesarea Philippi, um, there were these huge caves. Uh, and these caves were like so deep um, that people thought, like it was the common knowledge of the day, that at the end of these caves was actually Hades, was actually the gates of hell. You could get to hell if you went far enough and deep enough into these caves. People really thought the gates of hell were in Caesarea Philippi. They're not. That's what people thought. There was also um, this huge temple to this pagan god. And people would go and worship at this temple and do all kind of crazy messed up, jacked up stuff at this temple. And so people were flooding this temple all the time. And there was also a huge Roman uh, city building, like where the government would meet, a huge Roman headquarters in Caesarea Philippi. So when Jesus said this, here's what he meant. He goes, I'm going to build my church. Right now it's just the 12 of you guys. Right now it might just be the 100 people that are following us right now. But I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell... Back in those caves, 
what people think is the gates of hell, here in this city, my church is going to prevail. And, and, and against this pagan God, it's not going to stand up because my church is going to move forward. And, and, and against the Roman government, my church is going to move forward. Did you had idol worship that was consuming the day. You had the Roman government, maybe one of the most powerful governments in history, one of the most powerful empires in history. These things that everyone thought could crush the church because it was just 120 people at the time. And here's what Jesus says. He goes to disciples. He says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. And this temple isn't going to prevail against it. And governments can't stop me because this is the church. Here's, what, here's what's interesting about gates. They're defensive. What does that mean? Gates aren't moving. The church, on the other hand, God set us out on the offensive. Here's why the gates of hell can never prevail. Because the gates of hell aren't moving forward. But the church, what we're a part of, is moving forward. You walk into your schools every day, and you might feel like a thousand things are prevailing, are winning. Here's what Jesus says. I've put you there. Insert whatever school you have. Whatever school you go to. And Jesus says, I've put you there that my church might win, that people might be added. John 17 um, is Jesus's, uh, it's called the high priestly prayer. It's like the whole chapter of John 17. You should go read it sometimes. Um, It's really cool, all the things Jesus prays for. But near the end of his prayer, he prays for the church. He says, and I'm not only praying this for these, but everyone who will follow, everyone who will trust in Christ. What does that mean? That means Jesus literally prays for the people sitting in this room. Everyone that would trust in Christ. If you've trusted in Christ, if you follow Jesus, Jesus prays for you in John chapter 17. Here's what he prays. He said, God, would you make them one as you and I are one so that the world will know that they're my disciples by how they love each other. What? Why don't he pray like everyone who just became a Christian? Can't he do that? He's God. Yeah, he, he could do that. That's not what he prayed. And he didn't pray, God, would you make refuge like the coolest place in town? Um, God, would you help, like, Christian music to, like, take over the radio? Um, God, would you help, like, preachers be, like, awesome at communicating God's word? Um, God, would, would you help, like, me win a football game? And then, like, I have a shirt on that says John 3.16, I take my pads off, and it's like, John 3.16. And then everybody comes to Christ. That's not what he prays. He prays, God, make them one. Because the world will know that this thing's legit. The world will know that this is the real deal by how Christians love each other. Community. You know what it means that that everyone doesn't know that Jesus is real? Or that Christianity is actually true? You know why that is? I think that's because we don't love each other yet. Out of all the things Jesus could have prayed, said, God, the world is going to come to faith in Jesus. The world's going to believe in me when the church steps up and becomes a church. When community really starts to affect people. The groups you're about to go to, the communities that you're in, the Christians that you unite yourself with, I promise you, if you'll really invest in it, it'll change your life. Dude, I could go down a list. Uh, Me and Daniel were talking before the service. Dude, I'm in Las Vegas because of Heath and Stan. I'm in Las Vegas because a guy named Melvin. He's a nerd. He's got red hair and wears glasses, like total nerd. His name is Melvin. How bad does that say? <laughs> he would tell you that, though, if he was here. Um, some of you have met him. 
Um, dude, I'm in Las Vegas because of people's impact on me. Because of community. God's plan to reach the world was originally given to 120 people. And out of that 120 people, it spread 2,000 years to the people in this room. So I can stand up here right now and give you the same challenge. And with 120 people, God reached the world. But the mission's not over. The goal's not over. Here's our job. Go into the places where you are every day. Into your school. To the place where you work. To your family. And with the people around you. Having each other's back. Devoting yourselves to the Bible. Devoting yourselves to fellowship. Hanging out. Partnering together. Devoting yourselves to praying for people. God will add to the church day by day. Not because we're great, but because we're one. Because we care about each other. Because people can look at us and say, wow, they're different. Let me pray for us. God, we say thank you for tonight. God, we have no idea why you would invite us to be your church. God, we, we say we don't, you don't need us at all. But God, you've chosen to use us. God, I pray for the students in this room. God, I'm serious. And God, I mean it. And I know you can do incredible things with the people sitting out here if they'll buy into this idea of family. If they'll buy into the idea that we have profound impact on each other. God, would you help us love each other? God, as we walk the halls of our school, got at Coronado and Silverado, got at Silvestri, got at Del Webb, got at Lake Mead, got at all the places that we go, got in our homes, in our jobs, got at the mall. God, would you help us to love each other? God, would you help us to know that the church as a mission. God, I thank you that we're an unstoppable force. God, the gates of hell. God, the city that we're in. God, people that are teaching something that's not that. God, governments or armies. God, they're not going to prevail against your church.